Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in the going to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts for the Word of God this morning. Father, as we approach your Word in our continued study of Romans chapter 12, I just pray that you will open up our hearts and minds to your truth. I pray, Lord, that we would live the life that is laid out for us in these verses. In Jesus' name, amen. Our focal passage is found in Romans chapter 12. I've been reading verses 17 through 21, even though we've been studying these verses a verse at a time. But I'd like to read that again in total to give us proper context of the study this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 17, Paul wrote, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Last week, our focal passage was verse 17. Repay no one for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And in that sermon, I went through a list of biblical reasons of why Christians should be different as we interact with not only one another, but also people outside of church, non-believers. And this list was developed by the Puritan John Flavel. And I think that we'll all agree that as I went through that list, you can see the difficulty in living the Christian life. It's easy to believe the doctrines of Christianity as a believer, but then when we start taking God's Word and applying it to how we interact with one another, therein lies the difficulty. And I think that this is especially true in this day and age when everyone is focused on individual rights. You notice that in the political discourse of the day that we are focused on the individual. And whether you're on the right or whether you're on the left, there is a focus on individual right versus asking ourselves what type of society we want to live in. And when we focus on the individual, It's easy for us to say our rights have been violated when someone does harm to us. And then it becomes especially easy to react in our flesh as we protect, quote, our rights. However, Paul points out something extremely important in verse 18. 
that helps us deal with this complex issue. How should the Christian live and interact with other people? If you look at verse 17, our verse from the previous week, repay no one evil for evil. That can become difficult. And then you look at verse 18 and it says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And since the entirety of chapter 12 deals with Christian living, chapters 1 through 11 was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then verse 12 is how we should live as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that as we look at chapter 12, this begs a question. What kind of person should a Christian be? What kind of person should a Christian be? And you look at verse 18, and part of that answer is found in verse 18 in this word that Paul uses, peaceably. In other words, the Christian should be a person of peace. The Christian should be a person of peace. And this idea of a Christian being a person of peace is found throughout the New Testament. And I don't think that there is a better verse to point to in this regard than Matthew 5, 9, as Christ was delivering the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Here Christ, as he's delivering the Sermon on the Mount, tells us that Christians will be people of peace. Will be people of peace. Later on in that same chapter in Matthew 5, Christ said in 44 and 45, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. Now, if I'm going to live out 43 through 45 in Matthew 5, according to the words of Christ, I have to be a person of peace. So if we're to be a person of peace... How do we get this peace? How do we get this peace? Do we will ourselves? Do we leave here this morning saying that we're determined, that we're going to be peaceful people? Do we reflect? In Buddhism, they say that there is a path of peace. But that path of peace is based upon inner reflection and meditation. That's different than Christian peace. How does a Christian obtain peace? How does a Christian obtain peace? Ephesians 2.14 tells us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, 
Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, says in the 14th verse, For he, referring to Christ, for he himself is our peace. For he himself is our peace. In other words, we don't get it through reflection. We don't get it through works. We don't get it through self-denial. We receive peace through Jesus Christ himself. We can be peaceful people only upon the focus of Jesus Christ. Having the inner dwelling of the Spirit and living our life towards Jesus Christ, we become a peaceful people through Christ himself. So Christians should be a peaceful people. That peace is established through Jesus Christ himself. But when we start applying that in a world that's not peaceful, that's when it becomes difficult, doesn't it? For us to be known as people of peace. And I think that we need to recognize that there is a stark contrast between Christianity and those outside of Christian thought. And in fact, when you think about Galatians 5, Paul tells us that one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. That as a believer, we will be a peaceful people. It's part of the fruit. In other words, it's part of our sign to the rest of the world that we are believers. When we are a people of peace. But just as Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 that one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. He also tells us that the work of the flesh is just the opposite. It's contention. Isn't it safe to say that the opposite of peace is being in contention? And as we live in a world that is not peaceful, we have to recognize that we are called to be Christians and be peaceful in a world that does not know peace. In other words, we're to be different. We're to be different. Now, it's easy to say, well, I'm a peaceful person. I'm at peace. But then we start having to interact with people. And therein lies the difficulty. We can declare to be peaceful. But we have to react to people. And that even happens in church work. Where we're called to be peaceful. And this isn't new. And I'll give you a great example of this. Turn with me to the 15th chapter of Acts. And this is regarding Paul and Barnabas. And there's contention going on as Luke writes this book, Acts 15, verse 36, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them. And you look at verse 13 and there's a contention. It says the contention became so sharp that they departed from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul called Silas and departed being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. There's a contention. A sharp contention. While they are in the middle of missionary work. It's reality, isn't it? It's reality. Now, I think a little background on what's going on here is helpful. Mark had already ditched them in the first missionary journey. This is the second missionary journey. He had already abandoned Barnabas and Paul in the first missionary journey. So he didn't have a good track record. But it gets better. John Mark is Barnabas's cousin. It's family. Can you see the potential conflict here? Barnabas is going, hey, I want to take my cousin with me. And Paul says, uh-uh. He ditched just the first time. I'm not signing up for round two. And there in that emotional state where you've got one person trying to bring a family member along and another person that is recognizing the difficulty that that created in the first journey, you end up having conflict. And when conflict arises, you have the absence of peace. So they parted ways. It's a broken relationship, isn't it? And that happens. It happens outside the church. It can happen inside the church. Which leads us back to our focal passage in verse 18. If it is possible. If it is possible. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. But sometimes it isn't possible. And you can see this here in Acts 15. Now, in Paul's case, he was trying to do the right thing for the ministry. And Barnabas should have submitted to Paul because he had apostolic authority. He didn't. And they parted company. Charles Spurgeon said this. Some people will quarrel, and it is barely possible to keep upon good terms with them. In their case, we must do our best, and if after all we cannot live peaceably with them, it will be fortunate for us if we can move off and live without them. Let me read that again. Some people will quarrel, and it is barely possible to keep upon good terms with them. In their case, we must do our best, and if after all, we cannot live peaceably with them, it will be fortunate for us if we can move off and live without them. 
Now, fortunately for Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, there came a reconciliation. Didn't happen right then, but we know through a couple of verses that they all reconciled. In 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul wrote the church of Corinth and he says, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have the right to refrain from working? In other words, they're together again. There's been reconciliation. In 2 Timothy 4, 11, Paul wrote Timothy and said, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for my ministry. Isn't that wonderful? You go from don't bring the kid cousin along to bring him with you. He's useful. He's useful to me. And I will say that is the wonderful evidence of Christian living. When we can have reconciliation among our brothers and sisters in Christ. May not happen right now. Maybe years down the road. But if we're to be a people of peace, we need to yearn for peace and reconciliation. Reconciliation is part of peace, isn't it? That we have peace. That we make things right. And I know that you can relate to this too. How sweet reconciliation is when we've had a parting with a brother or sister in Christ only to find that we can restore that relationship years later down the road. But sometimes that isn't possible. And if someone is unwilling to reconcile, you can't force that, can you? You can't force reconciliation. You can't force peace. And there's times where the best thing that one can do, just as Spurgeon suggested, one of the best things that we can do is that we can step back and give people space But pray for reconciliation. Pray for peace. And in fact, in our focal passage this morning, Paul gives us a standard, a guideline. Look at our focal passage again, Romans 12, 18. If it is possible... As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Well, what's the standard? As much as depends upon you. In other words, we have to ask ourselves as we find ourselves in a situation in which we've been wronged, a situation in which there is not peace, have I done everything in my power to have reconciliation? Turn with me to Matthew eighteen fifteen. This group of verses that we're about to read is used a lot regarding church governance, but there's something else in here I want to point out. Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17. 
Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And while a lot of people use this for church governance, look at verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. In other words, take the initiative. We live in a society that is changing vastly from the society that we grew up in. In verse 15 of Matthew 18, one could say that we need to have a conversation or a dialogue, right? If we're to live peaceably, with people as much as depends upon us. It means that we have to engage in an open and honest conversation. But we have a word in which we are living in now for a societal norm. It's called cancel culture, right? Cancel culture. You do something bad to me, And I don't ever want to talk to you again. You're canceled. That's the society that we find ourselves in. And this is happening over and over and over again. I've been wronged. I've been wronged. So therefore, I am going to cancel the person who has wronged me. It's easy, right? Canceling is easy going to write them off, not going to engage with them. That's easy. If you think about Matthew eighteen fifteen, engaging in conversing, in having an open conversation, that's difficult. That's difficult. But that's what we're told to do. If it is possible, as much as depends on you. So as we are living out our life as people of peace, we must ask ourselves as we are engaging with people, and by all means, it's safe to say that some people are just difficult, right? There are just difficult people out there. And there are people that do not want to reconcile. And there are people who want enemies. And there are people who want to be mad all the time, just as we saw in Galatians 5, that works of the flesh is contention. That's true. And as I engage or you engage with those difficult people, we have to say, have I done everything that I can? Have I done everything that I can or could possibly do? To have peace? And that answer may be no. For now. Now, if you think about cancel culture, cancel culture says that you are forever written off. You're done. Never going to engage again. 
You're done. Is that graceful? That's not graceful, is it? It's not. We should always hope for reconciliation. We should hope. doesn't mean that we're going to get there. We should pray for reconciliation, shouldn't we? If we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be people of grace and people of peace. So therefore, we should want reconciliation. May not happen today, may not happen tomorrow, may not happen 15 years later. But that should be our desire. We can't force anyone to reconcile. But we sure can petition God, can't we? We can petition God to bring about reconciliation. I can't change anyone's heart. You can't change anyone's heart. We can't change anyone's motive. But if you are living in a society or a culture or a church without peace, it makes it extremely difficult. We're blessed here. We're blessed in our fellowship that we are a people of peace. We have to be on guard about that. Have you ever been in a church that wasn't at peace? That's no fun. But there may come a time where you have to engage with someone regarding a wrong to where you can have peace. Now, the quickest way to not have peace is to do what we all like to do in the flesh is to tell everybody else that we've been wronged by someone. Now, if you grew up in the South, and you can fill in the blank for me, it's not gossiping if you're telling the truth, right? But the quickest way to destroy a church is to gossip. It tells us that we don't go to the congregation first, do we? We first have to go to the person first. We've got to go to the person. And we have to work things out individually. Why is that? Does it get a little bit more difficult at the congregational level? It does, doesn't it? There's this great hymn that Gloria Gaither wrote. And I'm going to butcher this, but I, I, but I love this. This is, this is my paraphrase because I won't do it exactly. But in the hymn, she said that we will guard each one's dignity and protect each person's pride. Gossip doesn't do that, does it? Even if you have a right where you've been wronged, if you make that public without first going to that person, your chances of reconciliation are greatly diminished. If we can have an honest conversation 
a private conversation, then you can have that reconciliation and that restoration. And no one else is any to the wiser, right? There's just been reconciliation between two people. That's what we're supposed to do as believers. If we immediately make it public, the chances of you being at peace with that person has probably become almost impossible. And when you think about our focal passage, if it is possible as much as depends upon you. You and I share or shoulder that burden, don't we? To where we say, am I handling this correctly? Am I creating an environment that is going to create reconciliation? That's why sometimes, as Spurgeon points out, sometimes the very best thing that you can do is step away and let the Lord do His work. To where you take a step back and go, I'm not making any progress right now. And in fact, you have to recognize that sometimes you could be doing more harm than good by continuing to engage. And sometimes it's okay to step back and say, I need to remove myself from the situation and perhaps I can have that conversation at a later date. As much as depends upon me. I'm not seeing success, so I need to withdraw. First engage, and then evaluate, and then make the decision on what you need to do next. Withdrawing is okay. But we live in a world that wants instantaneous results, right? I mean, everything else is at our fingertips. Reconciliation should be at our fingertips. Was that the case for Paul and Barnabas? No, it wasn't instantaneous. It took time. It took time. But this is how we should be defined. As people who want peace... People who engage others for peace and people that petition God for peace in all of our relationships. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you that you have given us Christ and he is our peace. That peace isn't something that's distant or aloof but we have it right now in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we might be known as a peaceful people. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the guidance in our life to interact with others in a way that causes reconciliation and peace. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone listening that does not know you, that they might accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and experience a peace that the world does not have and cannot comprehend. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. 
If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.